This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Cyril with Insider Perks, here with our amazing panel of open discussion guests, minus a couple who apparently haven't quite made it back into the normal routine after the holidays. We are super excited to have Mark Kep here from Campground Views, Randy Hendrickson from the Intrepid Group, and a bunch of other things, ex whatever new Randy's starting this week. <laughs> uh, I feel like the list continues to grow, but uh, great guy, super excited to have his knowledge here. And then, of course, Casey Cochran from Camp Spot, VP of Business Development. Uh, marketplace and software, all kinds of stuff going on over there too. So, um, gentlemen, how was your Christmas? Let's just start there. Like, what did you guys do? What did you get up to? Any fun? I actually took 10 days off. Didn't turn my computer on for 10 days straight. It's the first time I've done that. I don't even know how long. So I'm yes. back. Let's have competition. I'm really competitive because it was 12 years for me before I took my first vacation. Really? Yeah, no, no I, it's been less than 12 years. So, yeah. You I went away for like a day or something, right? Before actually. Yeah, definitely. But like actually taking time off, yeah. that was the first time I've done that in a very long time. And it was refreshing. It was nice. And um, the only the only problem is, is I came back to a load of emails and follow-ups and all that type of stuff. But yeah, that's the fear of any business owner is taking, you know, many owners can relate to this. You don't get time off. Like, what is that? You don't get, you know, people are calling, people are coming in. So, you know. In the, in the end, though, you need a break, you know? Yeah. Well, for sure you do. Yeah. I think that was my, like, let's be, like, I took a break, I don't know what, a week before Christmas, I came back, but I went to Europe for 12 days and did the whole Christmas market tour and stuff like that. And I actually like that setup. Like, I like taking the vacation. I didn't know it until I did it, but taking the vacation before Christmas, because during Christmas, what I found out is nobody wants to talk to you. So you can actually put your head down and get work done instead of answering emails and chats and questions and phone calls and stuff like that. But the reason it took me 12 years to get there is for the same reason almost all other small business owners have is that I didn't have the staff to cover me while I was gone. Yeah. So. Yeah, we did. I mean, we decided this year just with the timing of it with CamSpot. Um, I think we're at maybe, I don't know, right around like 125 or so employees, something like that. But we decided to give everyone that, that week off in between. And that was very, very nerve wracking for us, except for support. We kept a minimal support team on. We knew we would need, there'd be some, but even that, um, even in that time frame, um, you know, lessons learned, probably like probably need to have our full support staff on basically 24 seven, right? There just, there isn't, there isn't the ability for it to shut down because not all parks do. Um, but even for our, the rest of the team and the staff having that week of, and I always go back and forth, like, is it better to like completely, completely tap out or like, is it, do you keep like, just like a toe in and just so you can put out just some minimal flyers here and there. So you come back to nothing and that. I did, I did pretty good job this year of, of kind of like, I never like never get rid of my phone and I never not reply a little bit, but in this case, I like really, really did disconnect. Um, nothing too crazy stayed in town, but, um, it, it was, it was great. It was, it was really refreshing. I think a lot of people needed that too. I'm always jealous of the camp owners that we talked to. They're like, like the week that, that their park closes, they're like, 
you're not going to hear from me again for three months because I'm going to be in Florida. Talk to me again in February. Talk to me again in March. And I was like, gosh, you know, well, honestly, like they deserve that though. Like I know, like, I know. I would not trade putting up with campers for four to six months to just have a couple off to do whatever. No, that's not an equal trade. They're zero. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So I'm the, I'm the lone ranger here. I decided to get some work done. Or I was working okay. too, Randy. Like I just, I mean, I took my oh, vacation. I but I, yeah, I was working too. You know, the truth of the truth of the matter is for the intrepid group, everybody kind of shut down um, <clears throat> from our team and rightly so. It was a very busy year for everybody in at intrepid group. So a lot of family time for the team members, which is absolutely fantastic. It's what it's all about, especially this time of year. Uh, concurrent with that because real estate kind of slows down completely. You know, there's kind of a blackout window from December 15th to January 10th, it seems like, mm -hmm. whether real or imagined people kind of go away and shut down. And rightly so, obviously. So that gave Michelle Oliver and I some time with Expitality to get uh, more of our launch ready to go for that company. And because there wasn't a torrent of emails, it was actually pretty productive time. But the, the highlight of the holiday season for me was lots of time with the biggest star in my life, my daughter, who's lots of family time. And that's that really is what the season's all about. So that was my number one highlight. Lots of time with my daughter, because that's where it all begins and ends for me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Families, I mean, super critical. I mean, I'm up here in Canada. I didn't get to go back to the States to spend it with my family, but I spent it with my girlfriend's family and all over Christmas and stuff like yeah. that. It's, you know, wherever you can get it and, you know, take it, it's all precious. But I agree, like, I agree with you know, Casey, just going back to your thing, cutting completely. I tried it both ways. And I think what I found works for us is letting our biggest, and I know it's different with 2000 mm -hmm. workable, right? But letting our biggest clients know that we're going to be shutting down for a week and a half. And most of them are like, well, we're not going to be in the office anyway, just like Randy said, right? The 15th to the 30th kind of thing. But if you set that expectation, set up autoresponders, set up voicemails, then like, who's going to really... Who's going to have the nerve to come yell at me and say, how dare you let your team have a week off after they work the hard, like, who's going to say that? Yeah. I mean, there's really yeah. nothing. They can yeah. No, there's, yeah, there's, yeah, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's, you know, whether, whether they, whether they agree with it or not, as long as you can com communicate it, right. And say, Hey, this is, you know, yeah. this is what we're doing and, um, you know, and get as much done in, in, in anticipation of that as, as possible. We, we, we did a big push you know, the last, really last two and a half months, kind of a little bit revolved around this, but not, not specifically, but just, Hey, get your rates in for next year. You know, don't wait until you know, the 31st to like, Hey, I want to, I want to have my rates in for, for the first to go live next year. Like get those in while I had time and time it out that way. You don't have to go live necessarily then at least have all that stuff in for next year. Cause it was wild. Even in that week of reservations that you saw, well, I'm outside of a couple unique ones there. Even from like a reservation standpoint, people weren't booking as many things during that time frame either. But as soon as like the first hit, it's like first. floodgates opened up. You know, now granted that can get skewed from a lot of the city and county parks where there's these big, you know, they don't have reservations for like three months and then also they turn those on and that can skew some of that. But overall, um, you just kind of saw that, you know, everyone kind of, I think based on like the last couple of years. I think more and more you're going to find people saying, justifying that time to be like, you know what, I'm unplugging, I'm taking it off because everyone in the world at this point, I think, probably agrees that everyone needs it. <laughs> no, and that's the thing. And they deserve it, right? So it's different. Like, and, I've, and I told this to people I talked to today, it's different for me. I'm the owner. I signed up to do it. Randy's the owner. He signed up to do it. Mark's the owner. He signed up to do it. No offense, you're the outlier here, Casey. But uh, 
you know, I mean, in some ways you did because you're an executive at the top, almost the top of the company, right? But, but for the rest of the people who are regular workers, whose contributions are invaluable to the success of the company in the day to day, they didn't sign up to work on Christmas or the extra hours that we work. And so they deserve yeah. it. Yep. Kudos to you guys. Well, and that, you know, leading that leads into the conversation for the owners. That's the big thing that's happened the last two years and us leading to this year is finding people who are willing to work, number one, and the people that are willing to work doing a good job. And so a lot of owners are facing that looking into this next year is how do I do that? How do I find good qualified people who will actually dedicate themselves to to working and, and, you know, really driving it forward? And Randy, you've got a lot of experience with that. I mean, what's your tips for people to actually find folks that are that? fit both of those are willing to work and willing to do a good job working. You know, it's, it's a great question, Mark, and something I'm pretty passionate about. The, ultimately, I think if an employer is faced with a challenge of finding good people, a, a great thing to do is look first to their culture and their company and how they express their values to their staff. There's a lot of reasons why people stay at a job or take on a job or leave a job. A lot of that has to do with, do I feel involved in the culture of the company? Do I have a voice? Is my voice being heard? If I have feedback for management, will they listen to that? And when you can look at your culture and really say, we want to empower our staff to make good decisions, give them the tools they need to succeed, encourage feedback, literally taking off the name tag and forgetting title and rank, and let's all figure out how to make this business better and, and more involved for everybody. Um, I think it's, it's when you kind of treat it as a, a, a mill of people come in, people come out and hire them at their replacement wage. That's where you have the biggest disparity between quality of staff and, and just number of staff. But you really kind of go back and look at your culture with, with really open eyes and say, who are we? Would I want to work for me? What would I do differently to make my place better to work for? Often the company culture is going to attract the best talents with the, with the greatest longevity. And it's really been proven, in, in my case, decade after decade, when you really are culture first and make sure the employees are valued as part of something that's a living, breathing entity. Mm -hmm. It increases your odds of finding great people exponentially over just wage or just benefit package. Yeah. We're just having that conversation today a little bit uh, in a different tone, but just about setting like expectations, right? Like just uh, for someone understanding what is the reality of that day-to-day -day job, right? And you can paint. It's so, it's so easy to like, paint this picture of like what, you know, what the job is, but then what is the reality of it? What is the day-to-day -day aspect right. of personal preaching and pushing like automation and doing as much of that to take some of that manual like labor that might not be necessary that most people don't necessarily enjoy doing anyways. You want to automate as much of that as possible. But we've just found, you know, setting the expectation of what that is and the reality of that role um, from, from the jump um, and making sure that that aligns with what that person's, you know, either good at, wants to do, or wants to be a part of. Um, it, yeah, it's, yeah, we were just having that conversation today, so funny topic. I mean, it's well, you know, really, it's, go ahead. It's also interesting. I mean, there's a number of studies uh, I've read over the years that people don't always stay with a company because of the company brand itself. They stay because of the relationship they have with their immediate supervisor. And when you think about it, that kind of makes a lot of sense, right? Because they're not reporting to the brand every day. They're reporting to their immediate supervisor. So there's also kind of a top-down thing. I think the culture is paramount, absolutely paramount being honest and telling them, like you said, Casey, just exactly what is this? People want you to be honest with them, just straight up honest with them about what it involves, what's good, what's bad, how we can help and whatnot. 
But there's also a training opportunity for mid-level management or resort managers to make sure that they have those same skills to impart to their daily staff. If you're a multiple park owner, for example, that mission can get lost unless it's being implemented every day at the property level by a really talented GM who can keep that same culture consistent throughout. That's how people, that's the power of retention. It's not always the brand itself, but where I go every day and who I report to, do they reflect those same values that I hold dear to me? It's, it's enormous training opportunities, especially in this day and time when employees are hard to find and guest satisfaction expectations are through the roof to really go staff first. It all begins with staff and the culture you create for them. That translates to the guests. It, it's just mana from heaven when you can do that well. Well, so here's the interesting thing, though, and we, we're dancing around this subject a little bit, right? And we, we always do when we ever talk, regardless of who's in the room or who's having the conversation about this employment situation, because yes, we can say, and I agree with you hundred percent, it, it's implemented at my company very heavily, you know, the culture and the interaction and all the things that Casey and Randy just talked about, because I believe in all that stuff, but I'm also a company that works for hundreds of campgrounds. You know, Casey's a, a software company that works for 2000 campgrounds. If you scale it down to a mom and pop RV park in many cases, because of the demand and the drive to consistently lower prices and to make things cheaper it becomes much, much harder for them to provide those extra benefits and extra wages that some of their competitors at either the larger resorts or hotels or Walmart in the area can provide. Yeah. And so, well, we can sit here and preach that stuff, but it's not quite as easy as it sounds. Well, I think what Randy, what Randy hit on, I think is important, right? Because you can always, I mean, this is, comes down to just any culture book you read or whatnot. Like, Money matters in some capacity, right? At the end of the day, people need to make ends yeah. meet and they need enough money to survive. And there's that threshold of what that is. Now, what they're willing to do for that amount or whatever the case is, you can, you can dance around that. But to me, I think there's a, an opportunity for campgrounds. And I think we, we touched on this before, but where, where there's opportunity or where there's, you can utilize, and again, this isn't too nice because every company does some capacity of this, but where there's incentive that can take place to me, there is a there isn't an, an opportunity for campground owners that may be struggling to hire because it's like, hey, I can't pay someone twenty five dollars an hour right off the bat, or I can't pay someone eighty grand a year right off the bat. I need to you know, I need to justify this, and eventually, if they do really well, blah 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 blah. But there's there's so many things within, like to your point, Brian, like the, like the mom and pop campground that maybe isn't you know corporately ran or funded and things of that sort, where those dollars and cents they have to add up incentivizing the right work, the right behavior that also incentivizes and brings revenue to your park, to me is, is, a, is a, a, a real lever to pull on for owners because it's crazy. Like it's, we're trying to run the data on this and I, I don't have this here, but I can maybe get it. But like the number of managers that actually make the decision on what technology they're going to use is really, really high. Right, like these owner, a lot of owners are giving the keys to this park in in, in some capacity. This is the software that we're going to choose that we're going to use to run really everything at the park. Right, I mean it's it's doing it's touching just about everything, outside of obviously the culture and in the in what that that park and that manager provides. So, with that being said, with that much going on in there, to me there is an opportunity for parks to say, okay, I have the ability to incentivize the right behavior. Financially, along with culture, right, along with the, the the work environment, things of that sort, and and to me, I mean, money in some capacity only speaks so far, but in order to attract or to get things to to that point, 
I think there is an opportunity there, whether you say, hey, we're going to share a percentage of our, our lock site revenue, we're going to share a percentage of, of increased occupancy, we're going to share uh, a percentage of add-on revenue, we're going to share a thing of, of firewood bundles, like something there that says, hey, this is what I can pay you now, um, but but I want to give the ability for the right behavior. And if it's going to help the park overall, I want you to be a part of it, right? Not everyone can just say, hey, I'm going to make you an owner or operator right off the bat, but you can do subtle things in between there that gets closer to that point as long as you're incentivizing the right behavior, right? And so sure. I think there is some toy around in there with. I mean, we did that at the beginning of our company when we were, you know, we worked for, I mean, it was me for seven years, right? But when we worked for a hundred campgrounds or whatever the number was five or six years ago, right? Like we didn't have the money that we have today because we hadn't uh, expanded into all the different services. And obviously we had 75% less parks than we were working with, right? And so we had, we had to hire people based on that. We had to say like, listen, I, I can pay you this much. I want to pay you this much. We'll get there because if you help me grow the company, I recognize the ROI that you're bringing me through your smile or your customer service or the way you word your emails or all the things that you're doing. You're willing just to work an hour even when I'm after overtime, when I'm telling you don't work, but you're doing it anyway. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it has to grow with those things. And, and certainly my argument is not that it can't be done. My argument is that it's not as quite as easy for those smaller RV parks to do it as, as somewhere else. The culture is the big, And the Go big ahead. thing there, Brian, is a lot of smaller parks have used traditionally and, and still many do use work campers, right? Mm -hmm. So in exchange yeah. for a site. And I think it's been um, really well vetted for them. They know the risk they're taking on now. It's hugely risky if you're a non-federal park to bring in work campers because you're opening yourself up to labor and wage violations and all the stuff that goes with that. And this current generation of, of campers are different than the ones before. The ones before, hey, I had a retirement, I'm cool. I, I just, I'll do a, a trade of site. You've got folks now that, and I'm talking to these owners and they're saying, yeah, they're opening up the conversation with, yeah, I'll work camp, but what's the salary, right? So they're coming in with that mindset that they're getting paid. It's not an exchange of uh, work. But to be perfect, guys, they should. They should have that expectation. Is that fundamentally changes the, the math problem that the park is dealing with, right? So traditionally it was just an exchange of site. Now they're looking at uh, an expense line that's salary and it changes the entire bottom line of the park. And so I, yeah, I'm agreeing with what you'd said originally, Brian, is that there is a challenge for, you know, parks usually that are under about a hundred sites, you know, a large portion of the mom and pop parks. There's that challenge of how do I get somebody qualified in here? and pay them. And, and then Casey, what you're alluding to, I love that solution, which is you're offering ways for that employee to make more money by incentivizing them to sell more firewood or, or, or upsell or, or whatnot. And I'm, those are, those are, that's a good solution to this potential problem. But, you know, I do know it's a problem again this year for many park owners is finding qualified people to get in there. And so, yeah. you know, there's another couple of layers to this as well that I think are, are pretty important. I would, I would submit to you this. I, I think that whether you're a small park or a large park, culture is, doesn't depend on the size of the park. Culture depends on the size of the mission. It depends on the goals you have for your staff. Um, for years, I've preached to people just buying a park. Before you start throwing park models in there, allocate some of that to staff retention, staff bonuses, and retain the best talent. If you've got a lot of shiny new park models in your park or tents or what have you like that, and your front desk staff keeps churning and there's a new face every day. And if they're higher, the lowest replacement point on the wage scale, if you don't have the best people and pay them well, that's an investment with an expected ROI. Your, your payroll doesn't have to be a sunken cost. It is an investment in the future of your business. 
and in your different revenue streams. I would argue start with staff first and then go amenitize your property because you can have the best park models out there, but you can scare people away. But, you know, even further to that, I think, uh, so uh, that, that's point one, culture transcends any size of any property. Back to what Casey was saying, that there was a study I read not long ago that the reason why people stay at a job, wage was number five. It was after mm -hmm. culture and company, feeling involved, being part of decision processes. It's not always about money. You can get paid more bucks at one place, but if they treat you like an automaton, a robot, you're not going to be happy. But if you show up and everybody's happy to see you and your owner's doing something that says, I appreciate you and I value you and here's how I'm going to demonstrate it to you, the wage is really not going to be that important of a thing. It's going to be important. It matters. Everybody has to live, but it won't be the determining factor whether you stay or go. But one final point to what Casey said, which I absolutely love, incentivizing uh, all staff. That, that all Did we lose Randy? Yeah, I'm clear. I, I'm, okay, I think so everyone else is good. You, can, you guys still hear me? Yeah, yes. I can still hear you. I think he's making an excellent point. Hopefully he comes back, but I think that's kind of what, like, I agree with him. I don't think that culture requires, you know, you to be a big business or, and I think you can certainly accomplish that at any size business, whether it's an RV park or, yeah. you know, a two person team or whatever else. But the problem is, is that's a lot to do with retention. You can say and talk about all the culture that you want, but it's really the wage and the benefits that get them in the door and they might stay for a lower wage if the culture exists. But it's kind of, it's not quite as black and white as it is. Yeah, I mean, I asked. And, I mean, and, and add in that, you know, there's, there's parks that are in very rural areas, right? So your, your potential employee pool is, is reduced, right? And the amount of people that are willing to drive to your park and work there is reduced. And so yeah. you know, that, that adds into yeah. it. I, went, ahead, I, went, I did an exercise oh. with my team this year um, that was, yeah, I've never done before, but I, okay. I feel like we got really good results from it. And I make sure I preface it by saying, I can't guarantee to fix all this, but I want to be aware of it. And the exercise was, hey, I want to understand what your least favorite part of your, your job is. I want you to th really think long and hard. What is the least favorite thing that you do um, when, you know, working for me specifically or working within CamSpot? Um, and I want to identify it. I want to understand. I want to know it. And I want to see if I can fix it. Or I want to see if we can make it, make you do less of it or we can shed light on it. And if there's a solution there, um, and, and again, you know, to this point, money matters, you know, but it like, it definitely wasn't like the number one thing. Like my least favorite thing is the fact that I'm not getting paid enough. There is very specific things in those day-to-day, -day, in the day-to-day -day activities, um, that again, aren't all fixable. Right. But it, it was interesting exercise because every single person that I had, um, had said something a little bit different. But some of there was some 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 um, consistencies in there, and so then again, kind of rallying around that and saying, okay, is there something I can do to make whatever the least favorite part of your day to day is better? Um, I can't promise that. I can assure that, but I can at least be aware of it, right? And if I'm aware of it, maybe that can help us, um, you know, get to a better spot, or I can allocate less of your time doing that because someone else might do it. You know, we always equate it to something like cold calling in sales, right? Certain people dread doing certain like things like that. Some people love it. Yeah. So it's like, let's, let's figure that out. Um, and let's either allow you to do more of what you enjoy doing or less of what you don't. And it was, it was a good exercise. I was, I was really happy with it. I, I could see it equating out of parks because if someone's showing up every day and they don't want to talk to people every single day, but they're up front doing the check-in stuff, it's like, well, either let's automate check-in to make that person's life better, or let's get someone else greeting and let's get you up doing something to do it. Yeah. Yeah.
Absolutely. Hey guys, just a couple quick more thoughts. Uh, am I back now? Yeah. Hotel Wi-Fi, my friends. Um, just a couple of things to put a bow on what I was saying earlier. Casey, to your point about incentivizing staff with some kind of uh, remuneration for goals hit and whatnot like that. The interesting thing to me is, yes, that's monetary, but isn't it more than that? Isn't it cultural? Isn't yeah. that ownership or management saying it, it's the fact that we want to do this that matters as much to the, to, to the staff member as maybe that extra $100 bill. So in fact, they're saying we recognize achievement and want to, to compensate that. That again is really more culture than remuneration in, in my estimation. Um, and the other thing I was going to say is that like, again, to your point, you know, we, I, I think one thing that we've done well over the years is when we retain somebody, it's just what you said, Casey, what do you dislike and what are you best at? If somebody doesn't really like guest interaction, but they're better at something else, then you backfill around that. But when you try to force somebody into something that they're not great at, it's doomed to failure. You know, there's, there's an old book, I forget the name of it right now, but um, it says that the, the, biggest, the biggest thing you can do is not try to put in what's been left out. You try to draw out what's been left in. So don't make them who they're not. Play to who they are and make that valuable. There's a thousand I mean, ways to do it, but it comes back to culture, recognizing, listening, and hearing who they are and recognizing they are the backbone of your business. You don't exist but for your staff. Right. And yeah. for, for sure, you're right. There's a thousand ways to do it. It just depends on do you want to tackle it? Do you care enough for your culture or for your business or for whatever the reason is that you, you personally, your opinion, you should care about, right? But one of the things that shocked me, like I, it just, uh, it has nothing to do with camping, but we went to Europe and we, every restaurant we went into in Germany, every single waiter we had was a 50 plus year old man. And I sat there and I said to my girlfriend, I was like, I can't remember ever in the history of my life ever being waited on by an elderly gentleman at a restaurant ever. Can anybody else? Like, cause I can't, but it's, it's totally different over there because their wages are different. The tip system is different. The benefits are different. And I'm not suggesting that that's the way to go here, but it can be done a different way. Yeah. Yeah. I think understanding when upon that hire, I think it's always interesting because you know, if you're hiring someone that needs to be very fluid and flexible and they need to be wear many, many hats, identifying someone that embraces that, enjoys that right up front. I mean, we, we've gone through, I feel like multiple stages that even at Camp Spot, even other businesses that, I, that I've owned in the past was like, in the beginning, it's like, hey, you're going to wear a lot of hats. You know, you're going to go to where the need is. And, and if you enjoy that, um, you're going to be able to really embrace this. But then there gets to a certain point where you start to be like, well, now we need you to really hone in and define and own this space. And for a lot of people, that's a scary transition, right? I don't want to just mm -hmm. do this, even though I've done really good at it. And I've proven that that's why I'm put to this position. I don't want to just do this one thing all day. I like to embrace the change and things of that sort. And that's always a unique thing too, because, you know, as, as someone comes in, maybe they're doing a little bit of everything and then they do a good job with one thing and you say, okay, I'm going to have you only do this because you're killing it. Then they might be like, well, no, I, I got. I got joy out of these 10 other things too. So, uh, un, you know, understanding that type of person is always a unique thing when hiring as well as, you know, do you like having a very defined role and knowing what your day-to-day -day is every day? Um, I certainly don't, but I know a lot of people do. And so, you know, you want to hire a role according to that, right? Like that says, yeah, I like things very clear, you know, an exact job description. I know exactly what I'm doing and I'll do a good job at it. Or it's like, Hey, I like that gray area and I want to go to where there's need. And I want to fill roles. I think that's probably why a lot of people end up starting a business. 
there's no way someone's going to tell me what to do each and every day. I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do with myself. But um, yeah, that is an interesting thing when hiring. <laughs> yeah, I was I was raising my hand too, Ryan. I, that that's me also. You can, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. My, my team knows that. They're like, "Darn it, Mark, would you just do what you said you're going to do?" I'm like, "No, I'm going to do three other things." And yeah, um, yeah, like, yeah. So opportunity, man. Opportunities there. It's impossible to turn off. And anybody who knows me will tell you my organization is gone. Like I'm not organized at all. So I'll tell you, I'm going to do something or I'll sit down and I'll do this for this week and I won't get to it because 74,000 other emails will come in or I'll change my mind or I'll watch <laughs> 300 AI videos over Christmas break and decide to learn that when I didn't need to or whatever. Right. And so, yeah, I, I, I like the ability to be flexible and change my mind. And as long as you're taking care of what you need to take care of. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, RVIA released their, um, their, uh, wholesale sales, um, numbers today. And it, they're down fifty over fifty percent year over year. But um, something that was interestingly pointed out by some others in the Facebook group is that Class B um, shipments are actually up year over year. Um, so all of the segments are way down, and, and Class Bs are up. But it was interesting that data point in my mind. It kind of dovetailed to the other like big news that happened over the holiday break that kind of got mixed up in the holiday break, which was China completely eliminating all their COVID restrictions. You could. And if you're Chinese, you can travel anywhere. And, and the big data point that I saw in that was travel and tourism specifically that all the tourism operators like, holy smokes, you've got all these Chinese now that are looking to travel. And so in my mind, you know, I'm dovetailing that off of this drop in RV sales. How's that affect us this year? And all of a sudden we've got this massive international market that in one of the countries that they named as they wanted to go to was the United States. And obviously that draws into the national parks is a, is a big draw for a lot of Chinese tourists and so forth. Um, so those two data points just kind of like it goes to this idea that just because RV sales are dropping, we're we're in the same industry, but we're a completely different vertical within that industry, being the campgrounds and RV parks. And how does that look this next year? Um, and so I was going to throw the question at Casey and Randy's uh, Casey first. You said your your bookings, you saw a bump after January 1st. I can't grab We see the same thing. It's downhill to December 31st and immediately back uphill through August. And we're seeing, we're already seeing that data right now showing, you know, are you seeing an increase in international bookings and have, have you, are you measuring that at all? Yeah, I haven't dove in specifically since the beginning of the year on the international. It's really interesting point. I mean, I'd, I'd be, um, be curious to see like if there's any type of general metric that, that, that can tell that that's always interesting to me because again, I mean, I don't know if that's going to open up more you would assume potentially more rentals, right? So, I mean, I still think like to your point, let's say RV sale, let's say they are down. Is that reason for parks to, to worry? No. Nope. In my mind, I would still say no, because there's a couple of different reasons at a very basic level. Whenever I drive like across the country in some capacity or just driving in general, the amount of RVs and trailers that I see parked at someone's house, it's like mind blowing. At some point, I'm like, where are all these where are all these going? Because it's like in some cities and counties, the place you're going through, there's like sometimes more than one in every single driveway or like park in their yard. And I'm like, there's so many of these things everywhere. Um, like where are they all coming from? So at some point, someone's going to use them. So even if there is this influx of international travel, you're assuming the rental aspect of things is going, yeah. would, would go up. Um, and with that, you would assume places to stay. Um you know, are, are going to, are, are going to go up too. Right. I mean, I, so yeah, I, I, I'm not too worried about the, I mean, I would, if I was a dealer, right. If I'm an RV dealer, I would probably be worrying a little bit, but as far as like campground 
just the volume of trailers that are out there are so excessive. So, yeah. I know you didn't call on me, Mark, but we did have this conversation actually on the December 21st show with Phil Ingrassia, who was on here for RVDA, just very okay. briefly. He said, you know, that, that yes, RV sales are down, but what they're really doing is normalizing from 2019 over pre-pandemic, right? And, and maybe that's a buzzword. Maybe it's not. I tend to believe him based on the numbers that I'm looking at, because you can see they're up still over 2019, even though they're down 50% now. Um, but he did say, you know, regardless of RV sales dropping, there are 2 million new RVs on the road. Right. Where's they going to camp? So RV sales, I don't think is indicative of anything that's going to happen no, in 2023. Yeah. I think do, 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 there's a lot of but not RV sales. RV sales have never been indicative of the camping industry. It's indicative of the, of the RV manufacturing industry, but not the camping industry. There's a big boom in sales, obviously, uh, post-COVID with uh, everybody coming back out of their caves and whatnot. But, I mean, let's face it. If you bought an RV a couple of years ago, do you have to buy one this year? It's going to last yeah. you a few years. So you're not buying one this year because right. you already did it the year before. But now you're camping. Does just You didn't buy one. I think the more interesting macro trend within the data, however, is as Mark pointed out, class B's and truck campers and park models are up. Now, park models are quite different. They're an accommodation versus an RV, but they're called an RV, so they're tracked as RV sales. You see that number going up because people are buying those for, accom for accommodation. Does it, they do more of the experiential hospitality, dispersed hotel model type of thing. But I think that the bigger thing to look at is the class A's, the, the, you know, the travel trailers and whatnot, that's down. And there's a reason for that. Um, class B's who's buying a class B, a class B is going to be a, the younger generation It's going to be a gen X, Y, Z, whatever you want to call it, but that's a trend in travel period. So it's not yeah. as big, it's easier to maneuver, it gets to more places, more of the off road type of thing, right? The overlanding type of thing, getting to more remote destinations. You don't want a 40 foot class A to do that. You want to be mobile. You want to be able to park it in a hotel parking lot if you want to. So it makes sense that class B's and truck campers have just been kind of through the roof. So on a on, on a number of sales volume, there's still quite a bit behind the other categories, but as a percentage, that's the trend line I'm looking at. It's, it's going to remain that way. In my estimation, class B's and truck campers will continue to dominate this sort of a trend line because of demographic changes, of purchaser changes, of consumer behavior changes, it all speaks to something that the industry should pay very close attention to. And disposable income that they have too. And disposable income. Yeah. Go ahead, Mark. That wasn't me. Oh. Uh, some class B's are right up there with some of the big, <laughs> with some of the big boys oh. too, because you can spend Price -wise, 400 yeah. grand on a, on a class B. But it, that again speaks more to if you got a $170,000 Sprinter van, Mercedes Sprinter van versus a $170,000 40-foot travel trailer, they're going to buy the Sprinter van. So at that economic price point being neutral, they're choosing a different type of vehicle. That's something to watch. Yeah, I think sure. the only trend that can see they're going camping, right? And sorry, Casey, but that impacts where no, they're going. Because they can does. take the van, as we talked about, to BLM land and state parks much easier than they can to the large RV resort. Not saying well, they will. Can't. And hotels, as Randy noted, right? They can. Yes. So the idea behind a class B is that flexibility you have to either camp or stay in a hotel or use it as a portable toilet, right? I can That's make it. some food on the road as I'm driving somewhere or whatnot, or taking yeah. it to soccer games or whatnot. I mean, there's, there's about that with the cyber guys from Tesla about how you can pop it up and use it. Yeah. So yeah. continue. Sorry. Yeah, it's a consumer preference. It's a consumer behavior. It's, it's not a trend. It's not even so much about economics. It's, it's what does the industry look like going forward? And we're seeing it. We're seeing it prove out. Numerous articles, numerous data points, uh, just the sales themselves. That is the way the industry is going. And 
uh, I, I really think it's ostrich syndrome, putting the head in the sand to think it's otherwise. Class Bs, look for them. I mean, that, that's just what's coming and it's going to keep coming. And I'm sorry, Mark, I didn't mean to cut you off if you had something else to say. I know. I think I'm good. Casey's the one that's been sitting there waiting to. Oh, was it? Okay. oh no, no. I was going to say. I mean, I, I've always been pretty positive outlook on on everything, like camping wise, right? There's been a bunch of stuff, yeah. like, you know, economy, things of that sort, slowdown of RVs, blah blah blah. I mean, to me, maybe the only thing to 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 tentatively keep an eye on with the economy and work is that it's still pretty common for many companies to basically got forced into remote work. And I think a trend to potentially keep an eye on is if that starts to shift, right? Like if more and more the the, the larger employers are going to start regulating people coming back to an office, I think it's pretty far-fetched to some extent, but but you certainly could, right? If, if these big companies are realizing that productivity is simply better if if they have them in their office, they're going to realize that and they're going to regulate it, right? Even if it comes with some of the, the shortcomings of it. Now, I think all of us would agree that we're big components of, of remote work, but if that was to change, you think, then I think you could maybe see, okay, this could affect our midweek stays even, you know, further because there's not as many people that are able to do kind of that flexible workspace. I think we're a ways off from that, but that could be something I could see in 2023. If you see some of your bigger, bigger companies really regulating that back, probably there'd be some sort of trickle down effect. Could that affect maybe some midweek stays potentially bad? I mean, that's for sure going to happen. And I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say that. I'm not saying it's going to be 2023, but what's going to happen is the labor market will stop having so many job openings. And then as the recession continues or starts or however you want to say it is right now, I expect it to get worse in 2023. Then as the, it becomes not more of an employee-friendly market and an employer-friendly market, then they're going to have the ability, not saying all the will, but a lot of them will have the ability to say like, oh, well, we've always wanted you to work in the office. Now we can, and we don't have to worry about you quitting as much. Yeah. Yeah. It's but hard I, to hire like in regulate an office. I mean, unless, unless, yeah. unless stuck with that throughout, um, you know, we've pulled all of our, our employee in, in base too. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's tough to, to kind of go to that remote option and then regulate it back. Like it's a scary, scary position. <laughs> to basically, you know, say, Hey, we're going to go to this route because we know it's better productive. We know we get more, blah, blah, blah. yeah, cool. it'll be interesting. That goes to your culture too, right? Camp spots, culture and Trevor groups, culture, campground views, culture, inside of Berg's culture, because if you have good culture and you create a situation where you value your employees, then your employees will be willing to work for you just as much at home as they are in the office because they care. So, yeah. Yeah. so why Musk is pissed off because he's a dick. Oh, can I say yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well, not allowed yeah, to say I don't know if we're censored on. It's your anyway. show, buddy. I'll get the Facebook group flagged down. I mean, it is what it is. He can't get his people to work for him because he's not a nice boss, at least on the surface, based on what we hear in the media, right? I, obviously, I don't know the man personally, but I feel like somebody would step up to his defense if it wasn't true. You have officially been banned from Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's some, there's some other stuff, I think, uh, you know, for 2023, just kind of looking down the road and gauging by very recent trends. I mean, as we all know, the industry changes in Morse by the day, right? I mean, what, what used to be a one-year forecast becomes what's it look like by five o'clock, literal. Three-day management plan, Randy. That's my whole mantra now. Right, Brother, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Sometimes it's a three-hour business plan, right? But 
But there are some macro trends that I'm really paying a lot of attention to. One, I think, uh, is, uh, is collaboration. There's actually three C's, I think, collaboration, community, and communication. So on the collaboration front, I think there's going to be continued more trend of businesses that formerly thought of themselves as competitors um, collaborating and realizing their strength in numbers and their strength in, in coming together to provide even better services for more people. And there's always going to be new companies starting up, but I think collaboration is certainly kind of in the spirit of what's been happening will continue. And that, um, not the way under the bus here, Casey, but I think you could certainly speak to that. Um, community aspects, um, th this is not a shameless plug, but at Expitality, Michelle Oliver and I are really focused on community because when you think of experiential hospitality and somebody goes to a property, it's not just about what, what they're going to what, where they're going to stay. It's about what they're going to do within that community. I think properties reaching out to local cooperating businesses to build a sense of community. So you're not just staying at one place. You're staying with several businesses. You just happen to be based. Oh, we lost Randy again to the hotel Wi-Fi. Can I just slide this in here? What, before he comes back and say, like, I love his, this is not a plug for anything, but here's exactly what I'm going to talk about and why you should be at. Oh, sorry, Randy, you're back. I didn't say <laughs> you didn't hear any of that. Hampton Inn brothers. Uh, I just really didn't hear any of that. Now go I'll, ahead. I'll, Ray. Try, I'll, try, I'll try to talk fast before I lose my signal again, but you know, community is really huge. And we've talked about it many times before selling the zip code, right? So you've got this property and people are staying with you, but that's not the beat all end all. It's not the end destination. There, what was there to see and do? How can I interact? Where are the walking trails? Where are the golf courses? Where's the best restaurant? Where are the museums? The more you can act as a concierge and package the entire zip code for your guests, that is what experiential hospitality is all about. Hoteliers are doing that. The campground industry is doing that. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more of that because people want to belong to community. It's not, everybody wants to get off the grid sometimes. Not not saying that isn't the case, but community or belonging with like-minded people and like-minded businesses is becoming more and more important. So I think you'll see a lot more properties reaching out to engage local community businesses as part of what they do to provide a great experience for their people. And I think communication is the other, the, the third C in that whole thing. And that's really, that's, that's communicating your culture to your staff. That's That's communicating your value effectively to your guests and being honest about who you are and who you're not and not over promising what you are as a property. Truth telling people just want to know what's up. They just want to know what, yeah. what the deal is telling the truth about your brand and what you are and making sure the guest is experiencing what that brand promise is. So that, those are kind of my, my three C's. I don't think that's going away anytime soon. It, it's not a paradigm shift either. It's a continuation of a logical flow of the way the industry is progressing, in my opinion. Yeah, makes sense. Make, you know, the, uh, the last one, the, that's, that's the, the most challenging thing for, especially private park operators, is, is the understanding that their guests want the truth about their property. And so that, that's yes. like the big battle on our end, right? Obviously, our technology shows it for what it is, right? And that's, that's the actually the biggest battle we get. It was, I don't want to show people what my place looks like. Well, they're going to find out when they get there, right? And so, you know, being able to communicate exactly what they're getting into and what they what they're going to go do. I I completely agree with you on the marketing stand, um, Randy. The best way to get guests in your park is to be honest with them, show them what they're going to get, and then share ideas about what they can do around the park. They don't necessarily need to take it and do it, but just knowing that that's available to them is key. I mean, it's like I. I yeah. You know, we traveled for for twelve years as full time RVers. I always got a chuckle out of it, and it was it's it, it's true across the country. We'd go into an area, and I I would ask somebody, "Hey, what's a cool thing to do around here?" They had no idea, 
Or, you know, there's a unique spot nearby. I'm like, hey, have you ever been to that? No, I've lived here for 10 years. I've never been there, right? It, 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 but the availability of it is is what they kind of adhere to. Is like I could go do that because it's right here, but they never do. So you know, same thing for an RV park. If you can show them what they're going to get, so that they can make a logical decision about where they're going to stay, and then ex- express and share ideas of what they can go do in the area, you're going to get more people. In the park. Well, you're talking. I mean, you're talking about just basically identifying your park, right? If you're if you're a resort, then you don't want them to leave, right? You're the amenities, right? You want them there all day, and you want them spending their time and their money at that resort, right? You're, you're, you're bringing them in for that purpose. If you don't have all those amenities, you don't have all those things. Well, what are the experiences outside of there? Because this is a place, whether it's a clean bathroom, it's a place to sleep, or it's a place for peace and quiet until you go out and, and experience all these other things. So again, embracing where you are, what, what, what is this thing, what your park has or what you want it to have. Um, does it make sense to have a, you know, a fully amenitized park in the middle of, you know, a highly amenitized city, right? I don't know. It, it could, but again, understanding that as far as what their, um, you know, what your surroundings offer, I think is, is obviously very relevant to what type of park you're going to promote it being. Absolutely. It, it, it's so essential, Casey. I'm a, a big believer in that whole thing. And, and, you know, also the, just the truth of your brand or your, 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 when you say on your website that you're this, this, and this back to the truth telling thing. If your guests show up and they don't experience what you've said you are, you're in bad, you're in bad trouble. You're in really bad trouble. So you, you can't, you can't say that you're this unbridled oasis where you'll become 30 years younger, a better dancer and independently wealthy. That's kind of a bad idea for your website. If you, if you say it's very quiet, we don't have a lot, but the city sure does to your point, Casey, you're still selling an experience. There's nothing wrong with that. Be honest, tell them what they are. And make sure that you're listening to what your guests say that you say you're saying. And and to add on that, and Brian, Brian may be able to jump in on this also from the digital marketing standpoint. One of the biggest things I've noticed and what we've been seeing with our clientele is uh, a shortening of the attention span of consumers. You know, the YouTube shorts, the TikToks, the Facebook shorts have just like people are now watching two second videos, right? So like that attention span has gotten really short. So your ability to communicate to them about who you are and what you are is getting very small. Like you, it, it's a logo now, right? That's that's the messaging. What do you see, Brian? What are your thoughts? I'm going to totally disagree with you. So okay. I agree with you that the attention span in some cases by measurable data is getting smaller. But I think that's because the content people are consuming sucks. And that's what they're putting out. There are people who will sit there and watch 13 hours of Queen's Gambit on Netflix straight through. The attention span is there. You just have to create things that actually matter to them that they want to watch. And whether that's content on social yeah. media or whether that's tweets or whether that's videos or whether that's 360 tours from campground views or whatever it is. An experience like Randy does, a good software system that they can make a reservation on, you just have to hold their attention. The attention's still there. That's yeah. a really good point. I mean, Brian, I, that's a re- I haven't heard that point made. That's a really good point because we did a test with an influencer who had they put out a, a video RV related on TikTok and get a million, million and a half views. And they wanted $10,000 for one promotional post in, in one of those little videos. And we started doing uh, an engagement analysis of what type of engagement you get. And 90% of the comments on their, their video were, why am I looking at this? What's this about? Who are you? What am I seeing this for? Right. To your point, people are just swiping on TikTok you know, the next video and mm-hmm. the quality is not there. So you might have views. You don't have engagement. Yeah. Right. So that's all. It's all, it's always been and will forever be about attention period. Getting someone's attention. 
and holding that attention. That's the most valuable thing you can possibly have, whether it's your photos or your website or your tweets or your interaction or your customer service or how you treat people or how you treat your employees and what their attention is toward you. The gold standard of everything is attention. And that's what marketing has always been and will forever be. Just well, attention is, is content and content has to be engaging. Like we're all saying here, but you know, there's a, the, and Brian, you and I've talked about this before is that it's the, the funny stuff about numbers. I mean, if, if I had uh, 10,000 followers for expitality, for example, and they were all just drive-bys, then what have I really done? I'd rather have 15 engaged clients who value the service than a hundred thousand people that say, oh, I saw that, you know, no, the, the content drives, that's what drives your revenue. I mean, engaged people, not, not masses of numbers, but who's actually consuming your services. Yeah. And then ultimately revenue. And we've said this for yeah. years to clients. I don't care if you have a million followers on Facebook, if nobody's clicking book now to reserve on CampSpot or whatever else, right? Who cares? Right. Yeah. I don't care. Conversion, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's all yeah. I, I mean, I would tend to agree a little bit more. I mean, I, I agree with both. I mean, I, I was kind of in the, in the mark corner in the sense of like attention is so quick. If you can grab someone's attention, right? I mean, to, to your point, Brian, Netflix, right? They throw out a teaser that automatically plays for 10 or 15 seconds. And you hope that that draws in to, to commit to that 13 hours. But there was a study, I read some article on this at some point. I probably read it for 15 seconds. If I'm not what we're talking about, but there's the idea of how many times, how many people actually go to Netflix and never actually watch anything. They just scroll through content, but they never commit to any of them. So like, Hey, I got an hour to relax and sit down. And you spend 45 minutes of that just searching through. I, I do that when I have a chance to sit down and watch TV. Girlfriend does that. I actually bought my girlfriend. There's this thing on <laughs> Uncommon Goods. If you want to go look it up, it's a little dice thing where you can spin, like and roll three dices and decide what category of movie you're watching. Uh, you know, whether it's a you comedy or whatever else. Movie. Yeah, they sell something like that. It's like 10 bucks at Uncommon Goods. Yeah. Shameless. Yep. But you're not yeah, wrong. Yeah, so the getting the getting the commitment, right? You can get, you know, the, the flash, the, the quick. But that's the thing is Netflix still has their attention. And so whether it's an ad supported platform or they're paying the monthly fee or they put a banner ad there, they still have the attention and they can still use it and monetize it. Yeah. For sure. So, what well, looking at looking at 2023, Brian, what what's coming down the pipe from modern campground? What are you what are you working on? From modern campground? Yeah, I don't know. Like I got lost in starting three new businesses in 2023 over the Christmas break. So um, I did. I'm sorry. I did. Uh, I can't I can't tell you anything about it. But there, anyway, um, I don't know. Modern, like modern campground, we're still plugging. We're, we're using and we've talked a little about this, you know, before the show started. Like we're using a lot of the artificial intelligence tools to make us more efficient. Casey touched on that with automations and things like that that allow some of our team to, you know, no, I don't necessarily need 40 writers like the New York Times has or whatever they have anymore. Uh, obviously, we're not putting out the same level of quality of content that the New York Times is. So I'm not comparing myself to them, but uh, I want to hire the the best people. I want to have who I need. I don't want to cut staff because I'm automating, but I want to let the staff I have do the things they love to do, which makes them happier. They produce better content, the full circle thing with culture and everything else. So just focused on that, saving some people time, some stress, and and being able to do more things with less resources for modern campground specifically. Casey, what's the spot got for 2023? Yeah, we still got, I mean, we still got a lot on our plate, uh, you know, just, uh, now I think this year when I was talking with a couple of people at trade shows, I mean, for us this year, I mean, we're still going to grow, but I think there's going to, we're a lot bigger attention this year 
um, to kind of focus on our the, the core group that that we have. We've operated a, a big part of our development on kind of what we need in order to get right. Like we, we've operated a lot within that. And we learned a lot this year. Um, you know, just the volume of parts is saying, let's get get the parts that we have now. Let's get those subtle things right. Like for us, it's always been really intriguing for us to build kind of like the next big, big flashy feature, something that's going to, you know, truly impact either the industry or impact revenue in some capacities that we still want to allocate, but a, a majority of our resources have always kind of gone, majority going to that. But then there's also this concept of just, we call it simplifying the basics, right? What are those subtle day-to-day -day things that we could tweak and change that take, sometimes take an excessive amount of development to just do the smallest little tweak, but it makes a big impact on 2100 campgrounds. And so we're at a point, I think this year where we decided as a, as an LT team, we're, we're going to, it's not necessarily taking a step back. It's essentially, we're going to, we're going to start a drive. We're going to allocate resources to address those things. We're going to be, want to focus on simplifying, which isn't fun and flashy to talk about. It's, it's really boring to talk about in terms of like, Hey, this is the next big thing coming as opposed to like, yeah, our Airbnb integration is going to wrap up in a week and this integration, MailChimp got this. So we're focused on integrations, but we have a big, big focus this year on simplifying basics, right? We, we have enough clients that deserve that now to, to say, hey, some of these day-to-day -day things that, that we have and we need, um, we want to see those. And, and that's when we've done all the polling and all the surveying. It's like, hey, love this, love this, love that we're making this, love we're doing this. Would love if you could just you know do this this subtle thing. And so this is the year of us basically compiling all that, lining it up as far as on volume and, and, and addressing them. So it's it's not the fun, flashy thing that, that I usually like to talk about, but I think it's necessary. Oh, be. Yeah, necessary is what's necessary. I mean, I feel like I was probably going to say something that seemed more smart, but I lost track. So Randy, go ahead. Yeah, so on, on this end, I, I honestly, guys, for as long as I've been in the business, I don't know a time I've been more excited about what's happening in 2023. Um, with the Intrepid group, just yesterday, we had kind of an ad hoc team meeting on some specific deliverables we wanted to address. And ironically, some of it is what we're talking about here today. We wanted to work on our 15 second message to be able to convey value of our brand and how we do business with a potential client or potential seller in advance of the larger two minute version, where we can talk more about the supporting detail, why those 15 seconds mattered, if that makes sense. So we're working on our communication about how to distill down who we are, what we do, why we're different into a very compressed dialogue that reflects our values and our deliverables. And that was probably about the most productive call we've had with the Intrepid team members, uh, literally the last couple of years. And we're implementing some system-wide changes for efficiencies on the back end with a, a number of tools to make this just better, more responsive and better at what we do. And again, it all comes down to communication and who are we and delivering that in an effective way. The flip side of Intrepid Group is, of course, Expitality, the new company. And, and, and just as a reminder, it, it, like in one sentence, Expitality is, is like a bridge between the brand <clears throat> and the brand perception among the guests via conversation and not surveys. So it, it's done verbally to understand what the guest is saying and how the brand is being pledged and kind of be that bridge between those to help the brand better understand guest expectations. And that actually ties right back into the Intrepid group because anything we do with expitality for a client is potentially an Intrepid customer. Any Intrepid uh, client or sale could translate back to expitality. And we've got uh, a number of great, great industry folks that have signed on and backed the mission behind expitality that's it's on our website. 
Hi, Casey. You're one of them. <laughs> and so I'm just really excited. You know, it, it's kind of like for, for a guy like me who's been around a while, when you get to see a lot of dreams come to fruition with the best people in the world, I couldn't ask for better people to work with. Michelle with Expitality, it's fun to watch what she's doing with her company. Intrepid with our team members. We're just building on things that are good to get better at what we do, deliver better value. And it all comes back down to how. <laughs> uh, right at the end, he was going to give his cliffhanger and some oh, call. Right. It was the Emmy award winning thing. And, uh, <laughs> he's oh, like, <laughs> go ahead. Give us, yeah. the, give us the thing. We need to decide if you get an Emmy or not. We only have five seconds. <laughs> I don't know where I lost you, but I work with great people. We're doing good stuff. How's that? There it is. Boom. <laughs> That's the whole theme of our conversation, right? It Hanging is. On to the great people that you work with. So, yeah, yeah it's all of, I guess yeah. another 2023 thing that I'm interested in. We saw a lot of, I saw a ton. We had a lot of new parks, like new park builds that signed on um, 2021 and 2023. So there's just a lot of campgrounds getting built, right? And there was a lot of campgrounds that would have liked to have gotten built that couldn't get built just because of construction yeah. and zoning and, and uh, materials and things. Meters of that being out of stock. Yeah. 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 And so I'm, I'm really interested to see this year for those that have either committed to space or thinking about a new build um, or those that are, you know, trying to wrap these up um, because there was, there was a lot of new parks, um, but I think there's a lot of new parks coming in with maybe a little bit of false expectations basing numbers off of 2021 and yeah. you know assuming you know certain occupancies from averages of reports but it took 15 years to get that type of occupancy you're gonna make us have a three-hour show look at randy he's gonna go nuts no i know i'm just teeing him up for next time so anyways i, I think it'll be interesting for 2023 to see new park development there's gonna be a lot i mean i know i know of probably 75 or 100 parks that, that we have that we're anxiously waiting for them to you know, cut the ribbon and, and open up. Um, and I'll be curious to see if 2023 is still going to have a lot of uh, new new builds, right? Like, is that going to be as relevant as um, as it was, I think, over the last couple of years? Because there was, there was a lot of new parks getting built. Um, I think if you haven't started and broken ground, I think there's this significant number of people I've talked to, at least, who are not canceling their development, but they're saying, wait a minute, maybe we can get a little bit lower financing if we wait three months or six months or whatever else. I'm not saying that's across the board. Just saying that that's an opinion based on some people I've talked to it doesn't absolutely Im impact everybody, but that yeah. may be something that we see. Oh, yeah. if, if cap rates change a little bit too, maybe it makes a little bit more sense to buy something that's already there. You know, it'll, it'll, I'm just interested to see. Um, we're, we know the parks are going to sell, right? I mean, there's going to be there's yeah. going to be a high amount of parks that are selling, um, and in change of ownership, and we we've, we've seen a, a ridiculous amount of that. I'm just yeah, I'm curious to see if the, the new park build. Um, you know, if, if that will, will kind of continue. One thing that's been really cool to see is the amount of expansions in current parks. I think that's been really, really cool to see. Um, but even again, there, that could change based on, you know, a year's number, I'm, you know, planning on adding 60 sites based on numbers from 2020 or 2021, 2022 would be interesting to see if, if that was that expansion still makes sense. <clears throat> We've only got a couple of seconds left, but Mark, did you answer the question? What's the I didn't. Well, 2023, you'll see two primary things. Number one, you're going to see a lot more virtual tours. We just hit 1,000. We have 500 in the queue to go live here within the first three to four months of the year. Um, we're going to be bringing a lot of private parks online with the technology. And then within the Facebook group itself, you're going to see more of an emphasis on education and information for all these new owners and these new builds and, and the existing owners so they can better operate their parks. 
I have a, one quick question. I don't want to overpromise for you, Mark, but what is the name of the robot in Star Wars that has the ball that rolls around? It was in the new Star Wars movie. It, not R2-D2, but like the ball who can go through your... can't remember the name no, of the robot. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, though? You can picture the orange thing in your head? No, I didn't watch the latest Star Wars movie. Oh, I'm going to have to Google it now. Anyway, uh, <laughs> roll. I got to Google it now. Rolling Robot Star Wars. I, it's a catchy name. Like I, You got a being BB-8. BB-8, the robot. Okay, anyway. He looks like, can I share my screen? Let's see. Can I share my screen? Chrome tab, rolling robot, Star Wars. Can you guys see that? Or do I have to we come back? On? No, we don't see it. Right there. Okay. Okay, so BB-8. I don't want to overpromise for you, Mark, but I'd like a live 360 tour where I can remote control a BB-8 and roll him around the campground and actually see what my site looks like today. That would be cool. You know, there's there's camera equipment out there now that's able to do LIDAR mapping of the of a location and give you a three-dimensional space that you can actually just walk around in. That's a good idea, um, too. They're I'll like $80,000, you know. and, you know, you can't get them wet right now, but, you know, all this stuff eventually mm -hmm. comes comes down in size and price and complexity. So, yeah, that's that's where my we've eyes are. Is we've already discussed. You can buy the robots. You can buy the drones to fly over. As long as you have a culture, you don't even need to pay your employees. I feel like that's what we took away from it. <laughs> Maybe I missed one or two. Okay. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate you joining us for another episode of MC Fireside Chats. We will see you uh, next week for a glamping special episode. And take care, guys. We'll see you. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.